The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Peter, and we're going to be in chapter 1 today. Uh, To the glory of God, we are starting a 10-week study uh, of this profoundly important book of the Bible. Uh, There is a bountiful variety of truth contained in just these five short chapters, but the overall theme of the book is about trusting God through times of trial and difficulty. Um, And and it's, it's part of doing that, trusting Him in that, is knowing that it is by those things trials and difficulty, that our faith is refined, Uh, and and here we're going to hit this truth like gold, uh, and it makes it even more precious and beautiful. And so uh, we'll talk about a lot as we work through the book of 1 Peter, but there's going to be a recurring uh, theme that keeps coming back around that idea of standing firm in the midst of trial and difficulty by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit uh, to the glory of God. So uh, just some background on the book as you're flipping to 1 Peter. There's always detractors when it comes to things like this, but there are really no good textual or historical evidences to doubt that Peter wrote this book. Uh, There are many who doubt 2 Peter was written by the apostle for who it's named. Uh, In my view, a close examination of those arguments shows they don't really hold sufficient weight to justify doubt that Peter wrote the book of 2 Peter either. Uh, But 1 Peter is not really in question by any reputable scholars. Um, in general, I just want you guys to know, I, I am so excited to dig into this with all of you, and, and I know I've said this before, so I hope this doesn't hurt my credibility, but it's, it's so true about this passage right here. It's, it's so powerful, and it's so laden with rich truths that it, it almost seems like what we should do is just read it, hand out tambourines, and have a worship party, because honestly, it, it almost doesn't need preached. It's, it's that good, right? And honestly, I don't, the Bible never needs my help or any preacher's help, but uh, I, I think there will be some value for us expounding a bit as we study it together, but this is, this is so good. I can't wait to get into this with you. As we dive into these scriptures, uh, it, it would be really healthy and helpful for us to ask uh, ourselves a two-part question, uh, and that, that is this. First of all, how do I think about difficult situations in my life. So I'm asking you to think through that, ask yourself that question. How do I think about difficult situations in my life? The second part of that, how do I typically respond to circumstances that are hard or painful? So how do I think about difficulty and how do I tend to respond when there are various trials or difficulties, circumstances that come up that are difficult, okay? So now, let's jump in here. We're gonna take the first 12 verses uh, and I'm gonna read those now. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, here we go. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, 
to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Praise God for his word. I hope you're happy already, man. I know by the end you're going to get there, but whoo, come on. There's some power packed up in those scriptures. All right, hallelujah. We'll go back to the top, verse 1, work through this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Let's start there. You're like, ooh, I hope you jump over. That's a lot of verses. It's going to be all right. We're going to be all right. It's important, though, to notice here, just as a contrast, there's no follow-up, uh, as you often see in the letters of Paul. Like, Paul would say, Paul, an apostle, by the will of God, or like some other qualifying statement. You don't see that here. And that's partially because there was really no debate about whether or not Peter was an apostle. Some doubted Paul's apostleship, uh, that Jesus did appoint him uh, as the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter wasn't really in doubt. And so, um, not only was that the case, in fact, he is, he is widely regarded as the leader of the apostles. Uh, and because of this fact, the folks in the early church would have really treated this letter with a lot of weight and reverence as they received a leader from Peter, a, a leader from Peter, a letter from Peter, the leader. That was whoo, a little bit tongue twister there. I didn't plan that, but hopefully you're impressed now that I made it through it. Peter, the leader of the apostles, they get a letter from him. Uh, and not, not that we're pitting scripture against scripture by any means. A letter from Peter is not more important than a letter from Paul. However, uh, he, he just... He just could say, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. He didn't need to put any more qualifiers. Everyone was pretty confident uh, since he rolled with Jesus. And for a bunch of reasons I'm now going to talk to you about. So uh, in case you're wondering, well, you know, I, I don't really like hierarchies and authority. I don't like the fact that you're saying Peter was the leader of the apostles. Isn't everyone equal? Well, you know, it, it's, it's never, uh, Jesus never says, Peter, thou art the leader, but here's some things to consider. Here's why most people would say Peter was the, the leader of the apostles. Uh, first of all, Peter's name is mentioned in the Gospels more than anyone except the name of Jesus. No one speaks in the Gospels as often as Peter did. Uh, Jesus spoke more to Peter than to any other individual. I would also call to your attention things like Peter stepped out of the boat in a storm and walked on water towards Jesus. You know, a lot of times we remember that he sank, but let's remember the brother hopped out the boat, right? That's, 
street cred, um, should be. Um, Peter more boldly and accurately declared Jesus as Messiah and as the Son of God than anyone else. Now, in contrast, we must also say, uh, Jesus also rebuked Peter more than any of the other disciples. So he spoke to him the most, but half of it was rebuke. Uh, Peter holds the trophy for being the only disciple Jesus ever said, get behind me Satan too. Okay? Only one that got that distinction. Wow. Uh, Peter denied Jesus most publicly and shamefully after his crucifixion. If you remember, a teenage girl, hey, didn't you roll with Jesus? Ended up cursing about it, denied him three times. It was pretty public, pretty shameful. But he was given a one-on-one opportunity with others around where Jesus really zeroed in on him. After his resurrection, Peter was restored when Jesus asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? And then gave him instructions then to care for his sheep, feed his sheep. So he tied, Jesus tied his love, Peter's love for him to then loving the people of God. That's recorded in John 21. Uh, Peter was one of the three allowed to witness Jesus' glorious transfiguration uh, on top of the mountain along with James and John. Elijah and Moses showed up there too. I don't have time to get into that. There's a lot there, but that was a cool deal. Peter was allowed to be a part of that small group. Uh, so what, what do we learn from that? First of all, I think that bolsters the idea that, that Jesus did train Peter as the leader of the apostles. The other thing I think you can see about that or, or maybe apply uh, to your own situation is the next time Satan is lying to you about whether or not God will use you in light of your sins and imperfections, frailties, or whatever, just remember that Jesus handpicked and trained an overzealous, loudmouthed fisherman with like permanent foot and mouth disease, with no formal theological training to be the leader of the disciples and of the early church. So uh, the next time you're buying into, in, in any way, shape, or form, the lie of the devil that, that Jesus won't use you uh, because of X, Y, Z, whatever the reasons are, just think back to Peter. And uh, he probably outdid you. Because um, as far as I know, you probably haven't been called Satan by Jesus yet. And, uh, you know, there, there's, other, <laughs> there's other things I was reading about. I, I haven't thought about this. Jesus is the only disciple that ever had the guts to rebuke Jesus. Peter was the only disciple that had the guts to rebuke Jesus. Man! This guy had a mouth on him, and yet the Lord of glory uh, set him aside, set him apart, spent the most time with him, uh, and, and trained him to, to be a, a pillar of the early church. And so I, maybe that doesn't matter to you. It matters to me because I am like so aware <laughs> of my multiple frailties, my propensity for failure, uh, sinful tendencies, whether it's my mouth or whatever else. Uh, Jesus still loving and using Peter lets me know I got a shot. So I'm thankful for it. I hope you are too. Uh, so what's the next thing he says? To those who reside as aliens. So first of all, he calls them aliens. What does this mean? This means here we have uh, pretty good proof that uh, extraterrestrials built the pyramids. That's what we should draw from this. So that guy on History Channel with the hair, he's right. No, it has nothing to do with that. So some of your translations, may, the NASB uses aliens. Uh, some will say pilgrims of the dispersion even uh, is, is some language that's used. Maybe that's, that might be uh, ESV, I'm not sure. But So the bottom line here is it's, uh, it's sojourners, it's foreigners. That's the idea. So this has nothing to do with ET. This is aliens uh, as in not from here. Okay, so what is he saying? To, to, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout 
And then he says all of these areas, okay? So, first of all, the big idea, as, as he's greeting this, I mean, he's, he's you know, Pe- you don't think of Peter as like this theological giant maybe in the same way that, that Paul is, but he, he is slinging some deep stuff here right in the beginning of him greeting these folks. That's all he's doing so far is, hey guys, right? That's all he's doing, but there's, there's deep stuff already. And calling them aliens, he's calling their attention to the fact that this is not their home, right? It doesn't matter if you're in Cappadocia, it doesn't matter if you're in Bithynia, it doesn't matter if you're over there in Ephesus or somewhere in Asia, Cappadocia, wherever you are, you're not home. Your home is a heavenly country. And so live there as a pilgrim, as a sojourner. And, and they would have understood the reference. They would have, when, when he talked about the translations that, that use the verbiage of um, pilgrims, it's, it's, it's hearkening back to when the Jews were dispersed uh, because of captivity and other reasons. Uh, and, and the way God instructed them to deal with that was, listen, you're going you're gonna to be out here a while, so build a house, plant a garden, do good for the place where you are, but, but don't forget you're not home. Don't forget this isn't your country. And so we, we should live. This, he's He's saying hi, but he's already dropping this deep, deep bomb of how it is we should think of ourselves. Um, there's, a, there's a guy that, he's an older guy in the faith that, that I respect very much and love, and um, this is, this is one, one of his favorite things to say, man, is I'm not home yet. He, he, almost like a broken record, man. He's got that for sure. Um, and I, I need to get it better, because what, what happens when we don't get that? Well, we, man, we get so entangled in the issues of the day. We get all freaked out about what's going on. Uh, you know, locally, nationally, globally. I'm not saying we shouldn't care about those things. I'm not saying we shouldn't be informed about those things. Yes, we should, absolutely, and engage to whatever degree we can and have fruitfulness. However, at the end of the day, man, this isn't my home. This isn't my kingdom. I'm just passing through. So praise God. Uh, I'll sleep good and uh, hopefully not be entangled uh, in, in foolishness that I need not be. Amen. Uh Also, so in saying that, you, we, could, we could make the mistake to think that this letter is just to those areas that are listed. That's, that's not really what he's saying. That Really, these, these areas, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, these, these were like some of the, the soonest places that, that Christianity spread to. And so really, he was in, in saying that, he's saying to all the aliens out there, to all the Christians who are sojourning through wherever you are. So th- this letter is, is really... He could have said to all Christians everywhere, that's what he's getting at when he says that. It's not just specifically to those places, unlike the letters of Paul, which many times were wrote, written to the church, the believers in Rome, in Ephesus, at Philippi, right? And so, and then, so it would go there first, and then it would be circulated for the benefit of others. These letters were kind of, this letter was dispersed and kind of, he's saying wherever it hits first, greetings to you if you're a Christian, and then it would just, it would kind of keep on going, so... He's kind of writing this to everyone everywhere. That, that's the, the bottom line there. So uh, the last part of verse 1 is who are chosen, and then we get into verse 2, which says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Um, I, I don't have a lot of time, a whole lot of time to talk about this. We are still here in Peter's greeting after all, and so we, we got to get to the text actually, uh, but... I just want to say about this, even though you're seeing Paul's theology come through, even though it is, he's just greeting all of these various believers. Uh, 
I just want to say there, there are many brilliant theologians who have come after Peter and decided that this doesn't mean what it plainly says. Uh, most of the time this comes out of, I believe, a good motive of wanting to hold high and preserve the sovereignty of God in the process of saving sinners. That's a good motive. I'm all about that, and I'm, I'm with them on that. Um, and, and, you know, part of the issue is it can be a little bit confusing. There's also verses like Ephesians 1.5 that say things like this. He, that being God, predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, right? So we have Peter here saying, uh, who, to those who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Um, to, to what? Let's make sure we're being clear about that. What are they, what are they chosen for by the foreknowledge of God the Father? By the, that by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, they would obey Jesus and be sprinkled with his blood, which harkens back to you know, the visual of atonement through the blood of Christ, right? So, but then you've got this verse over here in Ephesians, uh, that he predestined us according to the kind intention of his will. So is it according to the foreknowledge of God, or is it according to the kind intention of his will? Well, which one do you like better? That's sometimes how people approach it. <laughs> um, I, I would just, I, can I just submit to you humbly that being chosen or predestined by the foreknowledge of God the Father and by the kind intention of his will are not mutually exclusive. They don't have to get in a street fight, okay? Those can both be going on. I, I, if there's something I'm missing, come talk to me. I just don't see why those have to fight. It could be by the kind intention of his will and according to his foreknowledge. They can both be true, and we can rejoice in both statements. I'm stoked on both. I'm glad God has chosen me, man. And I'm glad he knew what he was doing. I'm glad he saw before. And he's not confused and he's never been surprised about anything. Not one time ever. That's my God. And I'm, I'm thrilled about it. I'm also thrilled that he chose me and predestined me according to the kind intention of his will. That his good character was a part of the process of him choosing to redeem me when I didn't deserve it. Woo! I, I say tambourine smash on both, man. Pop the confetti. Why argue? God, God would not be required to turn off his perfect foreknowledge of all future events, which every faithful Christian believes. We believe in the omniscience of God. He would not be required to turn that off to preserve his sovereignty in the process of election. And, and why, why it's seen that way is, is hard for me to understand. Uh, all sides of this ancient debate agree that salvation is a free gift given by God through Christ. So what am I doing in making that statement? I'm saying, listen, I know some people, and I've been very careful in how I've said this. I know I haven't seemed like I have, but I have. I'm being careful, but there's some people that wouldn't even like the way I've said it thus far. But even those folks who I believe are faithful believers, really love Jesus, care about God's sovereignty, I, just, I disagree with them a little bit. They would, we would all agree with this. Salvation is a free gift given by God through Christ. What does that mean? We cannot save ourselves, period. We agree on that. And is, is that not the important thing to have agreement on when it comes to this issue of salvation, how God does it, and what his intentions are? Here's what you need to know. You can't do it, friend. Not by works, never going to happen. It is by grace through faith in Christ alone. We agree on that. Thus, if that's true, then under any circumstance, no matter how hard you want to argue about motives or intentions, how you got there, God gets all the glory. If it's a free gift of God through Christ only, God gets all the glory, honor, and praise for the fact, the simple fact, that broken sinners can be saved. 
Are you thankful that broken sinners can be saved? I am. Does, does the fact that broken sinners can receive salvation and mercy, redemption from a perfect God, does that make you go, I'm awesome? Is that your reaction? When was the last time someone handed you a gift and you said, thank you, me? I'm amazing. No. Unless you're, like, there's something wrong. Like, if that happened, come see me afterwards. I'm not trying to be funny. I love you, but we're going we're gonna to figure out what's going on because something's broke. It doesn't even make sense, right? You, you receive a gift, gratitude goes to the giver. God, with, without a shadow of a doubt, is the giver of salvation because of mercy and grace alone. For this, we are very, very thankful. Um, to be honest with you, I shudder to think of Jesus' reaction to the fact that we, as his people, have spent untold amounts of time and energy debating the specific details of how God before time began, chose to redeem a people for himself. How much time have we spent reading and studying and then using that reading and studying to go debate one another about the, the specific details of how God chose who he chose before time began? Like, if it, <laughs> a dose of humility should just wash over you as soon as you realize, I'm trying to figure out the inner workings of the mind of God before time began. If you don't realize how like, unqualified you are to be wading into that tall cotton, again, come talk to me afterwards. There's an issue, okay? I love you, but we, we, have, to be, we have to be humble about this. Uh, I, I, I shudder to think how King Jesus would react with how much time we've wasted on that instead of focus, focusing that time and energy on getting the beautiful hope of the gospel to as many people as possible. There, there, is, there is a beautiful message um, aside from, from that whole kind of very narrow debate, and that's that there is a free gift of salvation available by faith in Christ. And uh, the mission we were given was to, to spread that, um, you know, not beat on each other like pinatas about stuff that I'm not sure we should be sure about. You don't have to say amen about it, but that's where I'm at. So there you go. Now you know. Uh, just because I know there's a few in every crowd, let me quickly address this idea. Because there's, there's somebody out here. Well, um, Pastor Vince, actually, if, if you knew the original languages, what you would understand is that foreknowledge there, that, that doesn't really, that's not what that means. It doesn't mean foreknowledge. Thank you. Uh, first of all, I'm not fluent in Greek, so you got me there. Congratulations. However, I do know how to use a lexicon. And so, if you go look up this word foreknowledge in the Greek... The word is prognosin, okay? You can, you can hear the root of prognosis in that. The word is prognosis, prognosin in the Greek. Do you know what that means? It means foreknowledge, to know beforehand. Okay, so you can wiggle, you can dance, you can do an exegetical somersault around this if you want to. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and the Greek is not a retreat here from this simple statement by Peter. Now listen, it's fine to have an opinion about this, and it can be different than my opinion. This is, to me, this is not an issue that should separate fellowship. I, I, think it's, I think it's second tier. There's people that disagree with me about that. There's a lot of disagreement. We need more agreement. And that was my point. In, in addressing this, I want the big overarching thing to be, here's what we agree upon, and that's what really matters. Like, if we can come together on that, that salvation is a free gift of God because of his incredible mercy that he deserves all the glory for every single person that's going to be 
plucked out of death and brought into life by the power of the Holy Spirit. God gets all the glory for that. We agree on that. So, honestly, with the pressing nature of the mission of the gospel, the, advancing, the seeming advancement of the forces of darkness in the world, and the need for salt and light, I'd say let's, let's exert energy on that front instead of bickering with each other in, in little circles you know, in our back offices, okay? Praise God. I'm not bitter about anything. I'm happy. Yay! All right. So it's fine to have an opinion about this, but here's my question. Can we just be humble enough to admit that some of the inner workings of God's eternal plan of redemption might just maybe be a little bit over our heads? Can we be humble enough to say that? Perhaps. I submit that to you. Uh, Last thing I'll say about this, and we're moving on. As a point of clarification, for those of you, and I know you're out there, that are about to have a theological coronary, I, I do believe election is according to God's foreknowledge, but that does not mean simply his foreknowledge of individual human response to the gospel, okay? I think it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that. It just seems clear from, from what Peter says here that foreknowledge, God's foreknowledge is a factor somehow in how he chose us, and, and I'm very comfortable with that. I'm very thankful for that. I wish everybody was. That's according to Peter anyways, and, and I want you to know I respect and learn from a lot of Bible teachers that wouldn't say it this way, and it may be people that you very much respect and know wouldn't say it this way, uh, but for me, on this particular issue, I- I'm going to stick with Peter, okay? So do what you want with that. I'm, I'm done on the foreknowledge piece of God the Father choosing us. Let's keep going. And even if you hated all of that, surely we can rejoice together in this, I hope. Let's just read the rest of the verse. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, this is, what we, this is what we've been chosen to, that by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, we would obey Christ. We would obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Praise God that that's what we've been chosen to. Whatever you think about how the choosing happened, here's what we were chosen for, man. That the Holy Spirit, by his power, his sanctifying work, that he would cause us to be obedient to Christ instead of self-destructive fools, and that we would be sprinkled with the atoning blood of Christ, made whole and righteous before a perfect God. Woo! I'm glad I got picked for that. Amen. Praise God. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Lots that could be said there. Two things I want to point out. That according to his great mercy, we say the word mercy a lot. I just want to, I want to drill down on it for a second. That mercy... Mercy is a beautiful word that we should think about a lot. We should think about the depths of what it means that God has had mercy on us. Because we are not getting what we deserve, right? And just that, that thought should help us. And that's what he's setting us up here for, right? right? 3, 4, and 5 feeds into 6 and 7. And 3, 4, and 5 is giving you something that if you can grab a hold of it, like an anchor in a storm... Uh, it's going to help you in the midst of trials and difficulties. And so pay attention to that. Three, four, and five, he's saying, here's some awesome stuff about what God has done in us and for us, and that's going to carry you through when difficult times come. So first of all, just the mercy of God, the beautiful 
mercy of God, the undeserved favor and grace of God. Is it acor- it's according to his mercy that he's caused us to be born again. Mercy, not something we deserved. He, he owed salvation to nobody. This is, and this is, this is where I agree with some folks that maybe would have been on the other side of the other debate. God didn't, God didn't have to save anybody, right? Sometimes people want to get hung up on, well, why, why doesn't God save everybody? Man, why, did, why does God save anybody? Why? I mean, and because even after he saves us, we're a bunch of trouble, aren't we? Or have you been the perfect angelic, you know, disciple, right? Like, you're, you're, the, you're the Christian that never gives God a, a headache. No, man, every single one of us, even, as, even with the help of the Holy Spirit, half the time we end up uh, doing Peter stuff, man, <laughs> running our mouth and, and making issues and causing problems, uh, being in sin, getting distracted, silly. So it's, it's the mercy of God that has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And, how, and so how does that, where does that living hope come from? A, a living hope, not a dead hope, man. There's a lot of people that have a dead hope. They have this glaze-over, religious, dusty uh, set of, of, of structures and framework that they're clinging to, and they'll call it hope, but it's not, because it's dead, and it's not going to do anything for them. We, through the mercy of God, have been, we've been caused to be born again to a, a living hope, a vibrant hope, and how did that come? Where did that come from? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, it, it, we have a living hope today because Jesus, yes, submitted himself to a heinous torture, death upon the cross like a criminal to bleed out and die. He got wrapped in burial cloths, he got put in a tomb, but three days later, just like he said he would, he rose from the grave. And because of that, friend, you and I are not clinging to some dead hope, some fanciful chance. What we're clinging to today is a living hope, and there's proof because there's nobody on the cross anymore, and there's nobody in the tomb either. It's empty. And so we have hope today. The resurrection. Why are Christians so excited around Easter? This is why, man. Because we are celebrating the fact that our Savior said, you're going to tear this temple down, but I'm going to bring it back in three days. That absolutely everything he claimed came to be. That he was who he said he was. That he wasn't another shuckster. He wasn't another charlatan. He wasn't someone else trying to come and get something from us. He was coming with the expressed intent purpose of giving all of himself to us. So that we could have a living hope forever. And that's not, not just for eternity, right? There's a lot of structures and frameworks where all you've got is hope, you know, hopefully someday... It'll, it'll be good, but I got nothing right now. It's not what we've, that's not what we've been born into. We've been born into a living, vibrant hope that is real, and it's for us right now. Uh, and, and that matters as we move into these next verses, uh, and, and he talks about the, the difficulty of trial and, and, and how all that applies. So, uh, so moving to verse 4 and 5, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I don't know if you picked up on it, friends. Again, I'm telling you that three, uh, three, through, uh, three through five here is, is Peter lining you up, and he's, he's in in surprisingly articulate, beautiful language for 
some fisherman that Jesus said, come follow me, he is laying out for us the beauty of our hope, the incredible depth of the mercy of God toward us. And, and here he's talking about an inheritance which is imperishable, which is undefiled, and it's not going to fade away. That inheritance language, that's family language, right? Because here, here's the question I have for you. Who, who do you leave an inheritance for? For your children. And so what's meant to be What's meant to be communicated there not only is the fact that, just the simple fact that we have an inheritance, that God, there, there, is, there is for us this final beautiful hope in eternity. We have a living hope now. We have a connection relationship to God through Christ now. We have the hope of the promises of God that apply to now. We also, we also have this imperishable, undefiled, can't be taken away inheritance. And that means I'm a son or a daughter of somebody that had the, 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 the green man. They, they had the resources to leave something for me. And who is that? That's God the Father. So right here, my attention is being called to the fact not only that I have an inheritance, but the reason I have it is because I've been brought in and adopted, grafted into the family of God. I'm a son now of the God of the universe. Ladies, you're a daughter now of the king. And you have inheritance because of that. You're protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Praise God for all of that. Now, verse 6 and 7, he lined us up. He filled us full of, of truth and the imagery of the beauty of what the gospel has released into our lives. Now, uh, now comes the, the, the turn in the passage. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice. Okay, so He's tying, in saying, in this you greatly rejoice, what's he talking about? In this. Back, go back, just go backwards, three through five, in all the things he just said, right? What did he say? That according to his great mercy, we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to obtain an inheritance that's imperishable and we're being protected by the power of God. In all of that, you greatly rejoice. Question one, friend. In those things do you greatly rejoice? Because one of the things we're going to find out is if that doesn't matter to you, when trial comes, when difficulty comes, when, when hard circumstances come your way, if you don't have these things as a living hope, if these things, these beautiful truths that flow out of the goodness of God's word and the truth of his gospel, if these things aren't an anchor for your soul, man, and a storm comes, you're going to be blown all about the harbor, you're going to be battered against the rocks, you're going to be all jacked up and jagged, and you're going to want to quit. So part of what he's saying here and what he's tying us too, and giving us this, this anchor is, is, is the beauty of the gospel. Really, really three through five is, is, is a long-winded way with lots of detail of telling you, here's the beautiful promises that have come out of the fact that you, a wretch who didn't deserve it, has been redeemed by a holy, perfect God because of his mercy. So in all these things you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we rejoice greatly uh, in all those things listed above. So first of all, what he's saying is, so you rejoice you rejoice greatly, even though now for a little while 
if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So first of all, what this leads us to is, is, is an idea that we need to, I think, grab a hold of with, with fierce passion. This idea that he's, what he's saying is, verse 6, even though you're in the midst of a trial, in those things you still greatly rejoice. How does that happen? Because you guys know, you guys know as well as I do how non-typical what's being said here actually is. Because when trial and difficulty comes, for most of us, the first place we go is not to begin to rehearse all of the beautiful language here we see describing what has been poured out upon us by the mercy and grace of Christ through his gospel. But that's what he's saying is, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been, so even though now for a little while, and I think that little while, I think he means your whole life. <laughs> that little while is in, in context is, a, is the blip on the line of eternity that is your life, the vapor. So uh, this, this probably isn't a great church growth strategy, but I think what's being said here is probably that we're going to have various trials and difficulties for the entirety of our existence upon this planet. Amen. Amen. All right. <laughs> Uh, so what does that? What does that mean? So how do we? How, how then do we? Do, do we live in this reality that's, that for some of us, we're being honest, isn't one that is in the midst of trial, in the midst of difficulty, we are still greatly rejoicing in those things described above. Well, friends, I would submit to you that this is this is perhaps the most important reason among dozens, if not hundreds, of reasons why we need to meditate on the gospel constantly. You know, I, I know for some of you, it's like, man, it seems like all we talk about on Sundays is the gospel. That's because you, you don't need the gospel one time a week, man. You need the gospel 100 to 200 times a day, man. It's like when Peter said, Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone? Seven times a day? You know, and, and then Jesus says, no, man, take seven and take it times 70, man. That's 490 times a day. If you break down the math, that doesn't leave much room for forgiveness not happening. And what I'm saying to you, friend, is you, you need to be thinking about the gospel at least that often. Because if you're going to have the potential to be forgiven people that often, if you're not thinking about the gospel, you're not going to forgive people anyway. You're going to hold a grudge and be nasty about it. So that's another reason we need the gospel. But here's what I'm saying to you. How do we, how do we get here? Part of what we need is the help of the Spirit. We need to pray. To, even if I convince you right now that be, having your mind and your heart saturated with the truth of the gospel at all times, that that is right, that that is, that is, that is what is being called uh, out to us here and, and given to us as a, as a prescription, uh, even if you are convinced of that and you say, yes, that sounds right, what's not going to happen is you're not then just going to make a decision and go, okay, I'm going to think about the gospel all the time, right? Like, that's not how it works. You, you will not accomplish that without the help of the Holy Spirit. And so what, what the, the end of this is, is what I'm hoping is it ends you up on your knees in prayer before Christ, asking him to anoint you by the power of his spirit that your thoughts... And the, and the contemplations of your heart would be focused on the gospel continually. And what does that look like, friends? I'm talking about when you wake up. When you wake up, when your peepers pop open in the morning, I, I'm hoping the gospel is on your mind, that instantly you're thinking about the fact that here's what I know because the gospel's true. Mercies are new every single day. Today's a new day. Yesterday I messed up a bunch, but mercy is new this morning. I just woke up and I got another shot today to live my life for the glory of Christ, that by the power of his spirit, I'll be about his business. Today's another chance. His mercy is new. I woke up, so I'm thinking about the gospel. What do most of you do next? Some form of eating, right? When you eat, 
Man, I'm hoping that every single time the fork goes from the plate to your mouth, you're thinking about the fact that Jesus is the bread of life that was required for us to have the sustenance to live spiritually. That he is the bread of life that once we eat it, man, we're not going to hunger anymore. When you pick up that glass to drink your OJ in the morning, your coffee or whatever it is, every time you take a drink, I'm hoping the gospel is ringing in your ears and you're thinking about the fact that Jesus told that woman at the well, he's living water, and if she'd take a drink of him, she'll never thirst again. She won't have to keep going and getting a new husband every year to try to fill that brokenness in her heart that once and for all her thirst will be quenched. I hope every time you take a drink of anything the gospel is ringing in your ears. When you sleep you're thinking about the you're thinking about the fact that as you're drifting off that if 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 during that night your heart stops for any reason you are secure because by the power of God, you are being kept in faith that by the help of the Holy Spirit, you today have a living hope. Every night you go to sleep, you don't have to be afraid. You can close those eyes, and if they never open again this side of eternity, woo! I won. The gospel should be in our minds as we sleep, as we work. I don't care if your job is to put a peg in a hole. I don't care if your job is to screw this nut on this bolt a thousand times a day. I don't care if you have the most seemingly menial job. Whatever it is, we know that we have a master above that boss. We know that nothing that we do does not have redeemable value. We know that when we go to work, we are working as unto Christ because of the gospel. And because of the gospel, we know that even if we're on assembly line, half the time we want to punch ourselves in the head because I can't put one more nut on one more bolt. We know that that's not even the whole purpose while I'm there. Part of the purpose while I'm there is because there's a bunch of other eternal souls in this building and they need to know the hope of Christ. And so if I got to put a thousand, a million more nuts on the bolt to get to have one conversation with somebody where I share the hope of the gospel with them, then hallelujah, my job is worth it. When you're at work, you should be thinking about the gospel. When you're tired, you should be thinking about the gospel because you know what? Jesus was tired too. He was in the garden with his boys. He said, come on, pray with me. What was he praying about that night in the midst of that struggle as everyone else's eyes were fluttering and they fell asleep? He's exhausted physically to the point that he is, and he's overwhelmed, sweating drops of blood. What's he thinking about? What's on his mind? He's thinking about what's coming next. That people are coming with clubs and swords and torches led by a guy that supposedly loved him to drag him away and take him to be crucified. He's pleading with the Father for some other opportunity even though he knows there isn't one. And he finally submits with this last word, not my will, but yours be done. Every time you're tired, I hope the gospel is ringing in your ears. You're thinking about the fact that you have a Savior that felt what that's like too. Your God has not stayed afar off. That He can't understand what you're going through. I know some of you are exhausted. I know some of you, life has been beating you all around. I know some of you physically are just, you feel like you're at the end of your rope. Let me help you with something. Your Savior was there too. And so when he's calling you, that even in the midst of that kind of fatigue, that kind of, of just mind-crushing fatigue, I've been there, friends, when he's calling you to it, he's not saying, he's not saying it because he, 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 doesn't un, he, he doesn't understand what that's like. He totally gets it. He was there, but by the power of the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that is at work in you, that's the exact same way he made it through what he made it through. And so uh, when you're tired, when you're, when you're feeling drained, I, I hope the gospel, the fact that your, your Savior felt that way, your Savior felt the pain of, of extreme fatigue, uh, and by the power of the Spirit of God, pressed through to accomplish his mission, uh, which was the saving of our souls. Uh, when you're tempted, I hope the gospel is ringing in your mind and heart because you know that your Savior also was tempted in every way that you are. 
And by the power of the Spirit of God, those temptations were laid to waste. He didn't buy into any of them. Even when you're beating temptation, when you're, when you're having the victory, when, when, when the tempter comes and, and, and by the power of the Spirit of God you say no, I hope the gospel's ringing in your ears because you know it's not by your power that that victory right there just happened because left to your own devices, left with just the power of your flesh and not the help of the Spirit, you're going to choose uh, the wrong road every single time. It is only by the help of the Spirit of God. And how do you have the Spirit of God, friend? Because of the gospel. It is only by the truth that Jesus died in our place, took the punishment we deserve, then rose from the grave, sent the Holy Spirit that now dwells in us as the New Testament temple. It is only because of the gospel you and I have any chance in any situation whatsoever to defeat temptation and to circumvent the death and destruction that always comes every single time we don't. What am I doing? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to... I'm trying to stick a peg in every single part of your day. From the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep, I'm trying to show you that what is, what, what is good for us, what is healthy for us, what is right for us, and what's going to allow us to be able to rejoice greatly, even if for a little while we are, we are distressed by trials and difficulty, what's going to bring us through is if we are saturated and we, we see that in, in every part of our day and in every situation, uh, the gospel is there um, the gospel is true, and its beauty and its truth can carry us through. It's an anchor for us in the storm. Praise God. He says something interesting here. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. What's that about? Why, why would trials be necessary? I think sometimes people mistakenly think, you know, and it's, it's hard, right? Like, a lot of times we just, we're very prone to view what God's doing through our experience or what we can see. If, if, if part of this, if necessary, if there's, if there's a testing element to that, and that's what verse 7 begins to flush out, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, right? So there, there's an element there in the language of, of, a, of a testing and a refining. If... If that indeed is part of what's going on, the question is, does Jesus need to test our faith to know its quality? Does, does, is Jesus like a teacher that doesn't quite know if you've absorbed all the material yet, so they need to give you a test to find out what you know and what you don't know? Jesus is not like that. Jesus knows the very deepest parts of your heart. He knows exactly where your faith is and isn't. And so what, what does that lead us to? What then, what, what then is, is follows logically? Well, if, if the test isn't to give Jesus information because he already has it, then who is the test informing about where our faith is at? Who's learning from this test? Who is, if, if it's not for the benefit of the teacher, who's the benefit for? It's for you, friend. It's for me. Hallelujah. Why would trials be necessary? <laughs> because the reality is, dear friend, uh, there is no other way for us to really know. There is no other way for us to really have the, the, the beautiful refining process. And, and he, he makes it similar to gold here, but, but, he, but he puts the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable. Um, and and I, I'm not going to like Bill Nye the science guy you here, but some of you might be thinking, I thought for a second, it took me a second to remember, I'm thinking, is gold perishable? Like, but I guess the reality is, any matter can become a gas if you get it hot enough. So Peter was right. 
Gold evaporates at 5,173 degrees Fahrenheit. Take that note down. It's important to know later. There'll be a test. I'm just kidding. Um, I know that's like a, that's like a big note. How do I even conceive of 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit? Uh, the surface of the sun is roughly 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. So you can, you can actually heat gold up to the point where it will... It, it is perishable. Uh, so... Uh, Peter had his science right here. But anyways, the point is, <clears throat> that is not the point for sure. Uh, here's the point. The proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable. And, and friends, uh, we, th- this is a great point for us to ask. Like, you know, he, he's, gold is a placeholder here for the idea of something precious and valuable. Um, and, so, and so the question really here is, and, and this would have been, gold would have been like, the most valuable thing Peter could think of is really what that looks like, right? And so my question to you is, do we see the faith that God has given us as a gift as more valuable than anything else we can think of? Like, let's really actually put ourselves through the grid of that idea. Is that true for us? Is the gift of faith, because of the mercy of God, the grace of God, is the fact that, all, that, is the fact that three through five in all its beauty is true for us, are these things more precious to us than anything else we could possibly imagine? We all know the right answer. I'm asking you to really put yourself through the meat grinder on that one and ask God to show you if that's true. Because part, I think, of why we oftentimes freak out, uh, jump off the rails, lose our minds, um, get down into despair and darkness in the midst of trials is because, first of all, we, we don't even... We don't even think about the fact that there could be value in this for me, that God could be allowing this because this is part of what's needed for me to uh, learn about where my faith is at and for me to grow in strength and in godliness. We, we don't even go that way. But then I think sometimes just the, just the reality is three through five isn't, isn't that valuable for us. Sometimes the fact that According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Sometimes, man, that's not, that doesn't get us as excited as um, a half trillion dollar Powerball. I think for a lot of people, man, there's just other stuff in their life. All the sports ball teams and whatever, right? Like, there's just, people got priorities, man. I th- and, and listen, I'm not saying, I'm not saying in being saturated by the gospel and, and, focused intently at all times on its implications in our life, that that means we have to be some type of strange, like, monastic, uh, totally separated from culture. That, that, that's an overcorrection, right? Because part of what God's called us to is to, is to be in this world uh, as, as salt and light. And so to do that, you know, I, I, don't, I personally don't care if the Reds in the Bengals stadium falls down tomorrow. It doesn't matter to me one bit. would not affect my life at all. I would barely notice. However, I do understand that sometimes I'm going to meet somebody that uh, they, that is part of their life, and they, they do care about those things. And so I'm listening to the radio. I try to remember, like, the quarterback's name and, you know, who the backup quarterback is and uh, who made the scores. You know, like, I, I try to remember some stuff so that I can have a conversation, like Paul did at the Areopagus, rolled up, said, hey, uh, I noticed you guys are really religious. You got this... This idol out here to the unknown God, right? And he goes in there and then he starts quoting their poets back to him. He found a point of connection. So I'm not saying be, 
be this estranged weirdo uh, with a superiority complex, but, but here's what I am saying. It is good and healthy and right for you to ask yourself the question, is the faith that God has given me as a gift, the mercy he has expressed to me through Christ, is that the most valuable thing I can think of? And how do you really push yourself through that? Because I know you know the right answer, so you could stop there. How does my life actually reflect that truth? If that is of the greatest value to me, what evidence could I point to in my life that that's true? Praise God that though gold and anything else uh, we may put in that place are perishable, that uh, even though tested by fire, our faith is not. It says, may that our faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Last thing I want to call your attention to out of 6 and 7 is the purpose of trial. The first thing I already pointed out to you is Jesus isn't a teacher that needs info about where you're at. He's not collecting data if there's a test, a trial, or a difficulty in your life. He already knows where you're at. A lot of times what's happening there is he's opening up for you to understand where you're at. And I don't know whether or not you see the value of that, but that is good for you. Um, there's potential uh, for, for growth and character building that comes through uh, that, that refining process, right? He uses that idea of what, what happens when you stick gold in that furnace. It's got other crud on it that makes it less valuable. It's got other crud on it that stops it from realizing its full potential, but you put it in that furnace, and if gold had feelings, it'd be uncomfortable, right? Because it's real hot. But what's happening? All the stuff that's keeping that thing from being what it was really made to be is getting burned off. Are you hearing me, friend? You're the gold in the furnace. God sees you as valuable, and so he doesn't just leave you to your own. He empowers you by the Spirit of God. He also, doesn't let you, he also doesn't send you out into a stormy bay and say, good luck. He's promised to be with you the entire time. He's given you his word to cling to. He's given you the anchor of the truth of his mercy and the goodness of his gospel. That in, in the darkest situation, friend, this is part of what's being said here, we should not be able to find an occasion, a circumstance, a situation, no matter how dark, where we don't, we can't, it can't still be said of us that, that on the inside, man, we have a living hope and a joy inexpressible because the gospel's true. But this and this and this and this and this is really bad. Yes, friend. And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to minimize that. But the gospel's true. And those things haven't changed that thing. So all of that, the trial is really for your benefit. God is loving you in the midst of that. <clears throat> it's necessary. It, it's, it's a part of our experience that is needed. But also, <clears throat> what's being said here is that it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so God does get something out of the deal, and here's what it should be. It should be this. We, we go through that process, trial by fire, whatever that looks like, guys, and I know that's, that, that we can sit here all day giving examples. Those difficulties can come in all shades and sizes, but we, co 
it happens, right? This thing happens. We cling like an anchor to the truth of the gospel. We are empowered by the Spirit of God to endure that time in the furnace, come out the other side, see the glory of God in it, be thankful for the gospel in the midst of it. We make it through the trial. Then what happens? It should result in praise and glory and honor for Jesus Christ. And where does that come from? Well, it should be coming from our lips, first of all, right? It should be coming from our hearts, first of all, because we've just experienced the truth of this right here, that even though trial comes, even though difficulty comes, even for a little while, like probably your whole life, uh, seasons, right, at different times, even though that's going on, he's not left you, he's not forsaken you, he's with you, you're growing in the midst of it. We, there, worship for him, glory for him comes out of that. It should come from us, but also, friends, uh, and some of you know this to be true. There are those that observe your life. There are those that aren't sure about Jesus. There are sure, those that aren't sure about the reality of verses 3 through 5 here. Whether or not we, th- there is any reality to people being born again by the mercy of God because of the grace of Jesus Christ. There, there are people that aren't sure there's a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. They're not sure yet. They don't know if there's any reality to it. And when they watch you go through fire, and it doesn't mean you go through fire with a perma-smile. It doesn't mean you go through the, the trial by fire and never express like, hey, this is difficult. That's not what it means, but when you, you say all those things, but, but, and yet, God is good, his gospel is true, and I trust him, and you come through that thing, not only does God receive glory from you, hopefully, at the end of that process, it can lead to others bowing their knee and understanding that, yes, there is a sovereign and good God involved in that person's life. There's evangelistic value, friends, to you treating trial the way it should be to being able to rejoice in the pure beauty of the gospel in the midst of your difficulty. It says something. It preaches something. Hallelujah. Verses 8 and 9. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Obviously, Peter anticipated here the bad attitude that I have sometimes, which is, I really wish I could have been one of the disciples and rolled around with Jesus. Like, that would have been a lot cooler than where I find myself. However, uh, Peter deals with that here, and it's dealt with throughout the scriptures. He's saying, even though you have not seen him, you love him. Jesus said himself, uh, you know, those who see and believe, that's, that's great. Blessed are those that don't get to see, uh, and they still believe. And so, um, he, he, he's really, what he's saying here is, you believe in him and you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. I don't have time to take apart that joy inexpressible, but hopefully it doesn't need a lot of work. It's joy. It's joy. L- l- let, me just, let me just paint this picture for you and, and let it be something that we submit to the Lord in prayer. Because i got to be honest, on the average day, this doesn't describe my joy level. Joy, to such a degree, it literally can't be explained. Inexpressible. I, inexpressible, that doesn't even mean with words, like even if words failed, even with expressions and, and body language and everything, it's, it's so, I've got so much joy, any attempt I made to describe it would fail. That's the potential when my mind and heart is rooted in the truth of the gospel, uh, when I'm saturated in it, uh, and when I'm experiencing the beauty of, of the Lord shepherding me through difficulty. Praise God. 
obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. So again, we're not saved by faithfully walking through trials, of faithfully sticking into the process of being refined by God. None of that is to our salvation. Our salvation comes by faith alone. That's affirmed here again. I think Peter knows. He knows our tendency, like that fast. Three through five is like, here's why the gospel's awesome, right? And then five and six is like, for a little while you're going to have trials. Remember this stuff up here. Hallelujah, right? Stay in there. He knows that in those two verses we could... We could jump back over into workspace righteousness and be like, okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna stick it through and be really disciplined in trial and then God will love me, right? I don't know how, I don't know why we're so bad at that, but that is our tendency. So he circles back around and makes sure to say again, by faith, friend. Uh, by the outcome of your faith is the salvation of your souls. Uh, and I'm I'm thankful for that because I'll be honest with you, uh, I, I would say Rarely, if ever, have I walked out perfectly what I'm describing as it pertains to trials. The, the benchmark is being set here for us. The, the hope is being set for us. The goal is being set. Uh, this is something to aspire to, to ask for God's help with. Um, most of us aren't going to be able to do this perfectly. But we shouldn't shoot for less than what is being described here because this is the best for us and leads to the most glory for God which should be exciting for people that have been redeemed by his mercy alone. Amen. Verse 10, uh, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the suffering of Christ and the glories to follow. Verse 12, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Do you, do you get that, friend? Every single person, and this includes you, if you put faith in Christ by the power of the Spirit of God, if you have received the gospel, God had ordained and set the life of the prophets in their time Everything that they did, they realized that the Spirit of Christ was calling them to serve you as much as serve their time. In, in obeying God, in, and they could only see glimpses, right? They, they, they couldn't see the whole picture, but what it is God re re revealed to them, and them prophesying faithfully, doing what they were supposed to, man, and in, in Hosea, doing all the wild stuff God asked him to do in his day, for example... Not only was he serving God in that moment, not only was he serving the time and place he was in, but also he was serving you. And, and what, why is that important? Why does that matter? If you let it, what that does is it ties you inextricably into this entire redemptive arc that starts at Genesis and ends at Revelation. That God, in, God in sending Isaiah to do what he did, God in, in bringing Jeremiah in, God in having Hosea do what he did, right? Uh, in, in Ezekiel prophesying, already... And in the midst of all of that, he was thinking about how that, all of that was a part of the plan to bring the gospel ultimately to you. And so your, your fate in the gospel is tied back to the faithfulness of them. And hopefully also what that does for us is helps us not see ourselves in a vacuum. Yes, God has called us to the time and place where we live. God has called us to be uh, salt and light now. But we also need to understand if, if the Lord tarries, Jesus doesn't return and this thing keeps going for some more decades or centuries, our faithfulness or lack thereof today is going to matter then. 
It matters that Jeremiah was faithful to his call in his day. It matters that Isaiah did what he did. It matters that Hosea was faithful. Those prophets that got a glimpse of the gospel, it says that they were, uh, they were serving all of us that were going to then hear the gospel preached. Um, by the, and those, whoever preaches the gospel does it by the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Praise God. Um, in reference to that gospel are these last several words. It says, In these things which now have been announced to you, through those who preach the gospel, so if they announce those things by preaching the gospel, the focus here, the lens is on the gospel. The gospel is the things here into which angels long to look. What does that mean? Um, I, I, I don't know if he coined it, but he's the first person I heard say it, and so I'll give him credit. The way I've heard this summarized, angels longing to look into the gospel, what does that mean? We have a tendency, friends, to not think we need to be saturated with the gospel. We have a tendency to not think that every part of all of our day, uh, that we should be tying it back to the gospel implications of, of that. Uh, we, we tend to think that the gospel is kind of the, the, the milk of the word. We think the gospel is kind of the ABCs of Christianity. Um, and I've heard Tim Keller say it this way, the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. The gospel is the A to Z of Christianity. It, it is the entirety of all that the scriptures are about. Any other subject you're going to go search and in-depth and gain more knowledge about, if it's contained within these scriptures, ultimately it is, it is about and tied to the redemptive plan of God and the, the coming fulfillment of the gospel. doesn't matter where you go. Go anywhere in the book. It's about the gospel. And so, uh, to me, it is very, it is telling, and it, it, it brings a degree of humility to, under, humility to understand that, that angels, not eternal beings, but they've been around a real long time to this day. The, the, the tense here is present. They long to look into the depth and the beauty and the power of all that is happening in God's redemptive purpose through the gospel. And friends, I submit this to you. I don't think that's ever going to change. I think we're going to have an eternal, to some degree, we're going to have an eternal worship service. I think when we're in the presence of the unveiled face of God, God's worship is never going to end. There's already angels that that's their job. They just circle that throne singing, holy, holy, holy. And I think for all of eternity, friends, this is my conviction. You don't have to take it. I, based, based on this and other things, I think the gospel is like a jewel with immeasurable sides. It's got so many sides that you can spin that thing for all eternity. And as it catches the light of the face of Jesus Christ, that thing's going to reflect a new and beautiful element of God's redemptive plan through the gospel. And forever, we're just going to keep going, <gasps> And we're going to worship him again. Because it's that deep and it's that far and it's that wide. Forever. Angels have been around a long time, friends. They're still longing to look into the depth of what has been given to us by grace and mercy through Christ. It's pretty exciting. May we be a people who rejoice in the living hope of salvation through Christ alone. May we be a people who rejoice even in the midst of trials, knowing they are necessary for our growth and God's glory. And may we be a people who, like the angels, long to look into the beauty of the gospel for all eternity. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you 
for the book of 1 Peter. God, I thank you uh, for all of the incredibly deep, rich, beautiful truth we encountered today. Lord, I also, I believe this word is living. We haven't just been saved to a living hope through your resurrection, Lord Jesus, but this word is living. And I know that we did not even begin to scratch the surface of what these 12 verses could say and mean uh, in a practical way for us. And so, God, I just, I ask that uh, whatever we missed, you would help us by your spirit uh, to go and mine those things out. I ask that uh, these, my friends, that, that their, uh, their interests would be piqued, that their, their, their thirst, Lord, would be uh, spiked to come and to search these scriptures, Lord. Uh, thank you for the depth here. Thank you that your word is a never-ending well, and, and we, we will never run it dry. Thank you for all that you've said to us tonight through your word. Lord, thank you for all of the, the, the power that has come forth by the, 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 the manifest glory of your Holy Spirit and the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord God, uh, that in these verses your gospel has been set in its proper place at the height of importance. Lord, help us please to be saturated in our hearts and minds with your gospel. From the time we wake to the time we close our eyes, O oh God, may we please be overwhelmed and overcome with gratitude, thankfulness, and just being in awe constantly of the truth of your gospel, of how you've done it, why you've done it. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that we are chosen that somehow, way, that's according to your foreknowledge, but it's also according to your loving kindness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that no matter where we land on that, we can, we can all agree and rejoice in the fact that salvation, the fact that we don't have to be dead in sin, that we don't have to be hopeless now or for eternity, that that's a free gift that was given to a bunch of people that don't deserve it. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that your mercy, it's enough. There is nothing insufficient about the beauty of your gospel. Lord, it is enough to be an anchor for our souls as we go through trial. Lord, please help us by the power of your spirit to walk that out. May you be glorified in it. May it not just be for our good. May we not just see the value and the beauty of the faith that you've given us as a gift May that not be the only outcome, but may it also lead to praise and honor and glory for you. Not only from us, but from those who get to see it. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to be faithful. Thank you, Lord, for loving us enough to stick with us when we're not. Thank you for the promise of repentance. That when we fall short of what's been given to us here as a, as a high bar and goal, that you're going to be merciful with us again. Help us back up. We praise you and we worship you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org